Hello and welcome to Dinosaur Man News and Reviews. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. Yeah. That's right. We're back. We're back. We got all the news. We back. The reviews. Some people say, hey guys, how do you have so much stuff? And it's because we love you. What do you mean? How do we have so much stuff? Just, we're, we're hoarding news, we're hoarding reviews. I ain't a hoarder. We, we are like a dragon curled upon its golden pile of... What's the news. thing? <laughs> you should have nothing in your life that is neither beautiful nor practical or something. Useful nor beautiful. What? <laughs> uh, I feel like it was attributed to Oscar Wilde, but that might be a... I thought you were going to go for, like, you're the, um, is it Marie Kondo? The one who's, like, mm-hmm. simplify your life. Yes, I am like Marie Kondo. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Um, well, I am the opposite. I'm there, like, clutter your house. Mm. Like, a home is only a home when you have more stuff. William Morris quotes, author of The Wood Between uh, Beyond the World. If you want a golden rule that will fit everything, this is it. Have nothing in your houses that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. I feel, fulfill both those requirements. Mm-hmm. I am neither beautiful or useful. Okay. So I should be in everybody's home. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying have something that's neither of those two things. Oh, no, I think he's saying... He's he's saying unless unless it meets one of those criteria, you should not have it. He's kind of the original Marie Kondo. I think what he's saying is have me in every home in the world. I'd say put you in every bin in the world. <laughs> no. If that's a possibility. Oh, that, that was that was not nice. Um, I didn't come to play. Welcome to the episode, though, boys and mm. girls. Um, we are the only podcast in the world. I feel like I'm loud in the mix this week. <laughs> loud in the mix. Maybe I'm just a quiet little boy. Uh, yeah, that is true. I mean, I can hold my microphone further away from my face, or I can quieten my voice. Going ASMR. What everyone wants. They're all gonna come. <laughs> no. We don't mention come that often on this podcast. But, but more often than I think the audience would like. More often recently, I'd say. <laughs> After Don't Breathe 2 trailer. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to the only hey, podcast. Hey, that's out this week. And Crazy. Remember how they made him a good guy? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I saw the trailer again and I was like, I'm pretty sure he was a bad man. You know that thing of, like, you stick around long enough, you'll see yourself become the villain. Mm-hmm. He's seen himself become the hero, and guess what? He still tried to, like, forcefully inseminate someone in the first movie. That shit ain't changed. We don't forget that shit. Well, maybe they think enough... It's very hard to make him a sympathetic character when I think he's a real piece of shit. He is a real piece of shit. Um... <laughs> and they, But they tried to make him sympathetic in the first one by saying, like, oh, there's a reason why he's doing it. But it's also still like, mm, yeah, but he does it in the first place, and that's yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Even if your reasons are good, you're doing something bad, it's still bad. Uh, uh, moving on. Like I was saying, we are the only podcast in the world that talks news and reviews. Yeah. This week, we are going to focus on movie news and reviews. For the first week ever. I think it's bad time we, you know, pivoted to some entertainment stuff. Um, People have been crying out for us to stop talking about the coronavirus. Going to plug this up top as well. Um, okay. We are doing Twitch streams now. I mm. normally do this at the end, but I was like, let's just talk about it at the top. Um, In case they get bored during our reviews. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're on twitch.tv forward slash dinosaur man pod. Um, yeah. And we've been basically every Wednesday, 8 till 10 um, GMT. 
British time for British people. Um, we've been lately we've been playing The Good. Sims um, as we talk Good. about just all manner of things, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like I don't think there's ever really any kind of structure to it, but like we don't have an agenda. Well, we do have an agenda. We're part of the uh, left wing <laughs> media. media, the so-called bias. what do they call them? There's a funny snowflakes. term they have for I think, them. I think no. snowflakes. I don't know. W- wokey snowflakes. Hmm. Yeah. The BBC. Oh no, I didn't have a joke. Is there a cereal? Yes. Called snowflakes, which is just like heavily sugared, like. You're thinking of frosted flakes. Oh yeah, right? I'm thinking frosties. frosties. Um, but yeah, we've been doing them on Wednesdays, so come along and join us. Like um, we've been having a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, people in the chat as well. Um, and I realised at the end of the stream last week, I don't know if you noticed this, but like on The Sims, like what we've been doing is basically just letting the game play. Yeah. But I realised there's actual things you can do to improve their lives. Like as in, like you can teach them stuff so their jobs get better. Yeah. I didn't notice that until the end of the. Thing. Anyway, we're probably not going to play Sims this week now because Andy's now figured out how to play the game. Um, but yeah, come along. Like we it's... don't want him getting too invested in the game. The he... game is the game doesn't matter. Um, it's more about the fun. Last week we got to talk about Heartbreak, which was fun mm, for probably too long. <laughs> I would if say. you if you actually want to watch it, like I think it stays on the channel for like ten days, seven to ten days. Mm. So if you go to that Twitch channel now, you could actually watch back the two-hour stream we did on Wednesday. But yeah, come along on Wednesday and join us. Um, but now we've done doing that, mm. we're going to talk about reviews. What are we reviewing today? This is this has been such a clean episode. Can I just say this now? <laughs> Apart from the cum talk. But like everything else, clean. Um, unless you've got any other secret movies, then I think we've got four to do. Uh, Which one? Four, we- one, two, four, Ragnar. Oh, I'm just doing that. If anyone episode. wants to host a podcast with <laughs> the worst person in the world, then there is an opportunity to do so. What are the films? Don't give me that. Don't give me that. What are the films? I'm behaving myself. What about you? <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> the Suicide Squad. Yes. Jungle Cruise. Yes. Uh, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, and Some Kind of Heaven. So, okay. before that... No secret films. Before that, we must talk movie news. Uh-huh. But before we talk movie news, we must take a little jaunt down this alleyway they call Gaming Minute. Mm-hmm. Remember when Gaming Minute used to be a minute and no more? Well, it's going to be a minute or no less now. It's going to be exactly one minute. Okay. Bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop. Bleep, How much of this bleep, minute is just bleep, a theme song? About 50 seconds. <laughs> uh, woman pays her husband with video game hours after he finishes his chores. I mean, is this not just like a story that has appeared on like Lad Bible for the last, I don't know, 10 years of their inception? I don't know. It was on Reddit, apparently. A woman has revealed that she has to pay her husband for doing chores around the house. When the 27-year-old woman first met her husband, he was a student who prioritised his studies over getting a job. However, once he finished college, he refused to get a job and decided to stay home instead. Whilst this didn't bother his wife, she's at a wit's end now with how much, uh, sorry, how little he helps out around the house. And she says all he does is play video games. What a douchebag. In an anonymous post on Reddit, it actually wasn't anonymous. I saw that it was Q who put this from QAnon. Oh, okay. <laughs> and she said, it's confirming that Q is a woman. 
my husband doesn't work, doesn't clean, only video games, and he only cleans video games. Uh, blows out the oh, cartridges. Yeah. Um, Make sure that they can work. I tried talking to him and know? helping oh, out. Everybody knows that. I was going to say, did you know that like that's actually bad for the video games? Yeah, of course. Like, And I was like, no, that's just a known fact now. We all thought it was mm-hmm. a good idea as kids. Yeah, we all saw people doing it. And we're like, oh my God, that's like, cool. I don't think anybody ever told anybody to do it. Mm, no, they but did. one person did it. Sony told them to do it. They it were like, <laughs> we got CDs. Um, so when... This is just like a variation, right, on that story of just, like... I've heard this story so many times. It's like, oh yeah, I. I'm sorry, I got um, bad video game news. You know, for you. but it's happening, isn't it? Where like, um, oh yeah, I let my husband watch sports. Um, if he helps me around the house, like he gets like tokens so he can watch sports for an hour. Like it's the same thing. Fine. Okay, I'll get into the real news story. We should have done. Uh, I know. A, a Super Mario Brothers game has sold for two million dollars, another record for gaming collectibles. So the last time we heard about this, some fucking Mario game had sold for something, <laughs> and now this one sold for more. Great news! Is it? I don't know because video games are still bad because you know they're run by bad people. <laughs> so I don't know if they were back in 1986 mm. or whenever Super Mario Brothers Two was made. Or is it just Mario? It's just Mario. Never Bros. forget that there are baddies in the video game world and they but, should be held accountable. Okay, well, also there's baddies in all of the worlds, which is... The problem <laughs> with talking about literally anything is that there is evil people in all of it. They're the real bosses. Like an end-the-level boss. Oh, okay. I should have said end-the-level boss. I mean, in most cases, they are the bosses, yeah. Apart from Bezos. And I don't have enough experience His record is up. clean. <laughs> Hey, speaking of Bezos, mm-hmm. uh, Amazon be did something about Lord of the Rings. Oh, did you see that? No. Nope. I know we as we have established on this podcast, you are the person who's excited to see this Lord of the Rings series. <laughs> uh, so no. as somebody who's interested in Lord of the Rings, what did you think about that first shot? Didn't didn't see it. What was it about? It was just so all I saw mm. was a There's shot. a tree or something? I saw like a city, but Trees are basically uh-huh. the cities of a nature. But it just looked like like Genuinely, it looked like it could have been from one of the Lord of the Rings movies, and like being a screenshot from those movies. Mm. I don't know. It might have been. There was no little Bilbo in there, you know. Maybe Hobbit. Maybe Maybe a Hobbit. Maybe a Bilbo. Maybe a little Hobbit in a city. I didn't see a Bilbo or Gandalf. Um, Do you think a good mashup would be Hobbit in the city? (gasps) Like Sex in the City. Oh, it's Sex, Sex and the City, isn't it? But Hobbit. Hobbit and the city. And he just walks around Sex and he goes, and the Hobbit. I can't believe how good I got fucked yesterday. <laughs> I've never seen an episode of Sex and the City all the way through. You know what they say about a guy with hairy feet? <laughs> <laughs> we knew we had to keep this one tight. And yet now this is more fun. So I might just delve into this now. That Samwise is such a slut. <laughs> I had a brunch date with Merry and Pippin, and all they wanted to talk about was shoes. <laughs> Samwise got arrested with 15 grams of pipe weed. Have you heard Frodo's back with Mr. Balrog? <laughs> and it's not just for his bank balance, if you know what I mean. <laughs> XOXO, Gossip Girl, different thing I know. Oh. Anyway, that's a lot of fun. 
But yeah, look like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Do you remember how the twist of Gossip Girl? And yeah. spoiler alert for Gossip Girl for everyone. And I only know this. I've never seen the show. I just know that this is the end. Spoken like a true... Lady. Is that Gossip Girl was a boy. Is that actually the... I believe so. Yeah. I thought it was Blake Lively. I thought she was the Gossip Girl. No, I think it's... Uh, is it Ed Westwood or someone like that? Ed Westwick? <laughs> Sorry. But the person who I thought of... Was... Ed Woodward, the former CEO of Manchester United. No. Okay. You said Ed, and I thought of Ed Harrison, is it? Ed Harris. Ed Harris. The guy's always the villain. Yeah. The guy from Westworld. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's who I pictured, and I would know. No, yeah, it was him. It got the girl ended, and he just picked up the phone, and he's like, it was me all along. So I believe it was Kristen Bell's voice, mm-hmm. and then it panned out in the last episode, and they closed the laptop, and it was Ed Harris. <laughs> and he went, looks like I gotta go into a cowboy game. <laughs> Uh, okay, news. News. We don't have any time for this now, so... We do, we got all no, the time. No, we don't. We got all the time. The Josts. The Josts with the most. Colin and... So, Colin and Casey Jost, um, of SNL fame, and I guess also Impractical Jokers backse- yeah. backstage stuff. I love the fact that the main reason we know the Josts is because we saw Casey Jost do some behind-the-scenes stuff on Impractical mm. Jokers. Um... I mean, he's he's a producer on Impractical Jokers, mm-hmm. so he's he's kind of in there. Uh, he's kind of the original Impractical Joker. What are the Josters doing? Uh, they're doing TMNT, and it says here they're co-writing a brand new TMNT movie for mm-hmm. Paramount Pictures. This time, turtlier than ever. <laughs> this is uh, separate to the CGI film that. Seth Rogen say, is producing Seth for Rogen Paramount and Nickelodeon. So they're really bad. Michael Bay is coming back again as a producer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Jost. The Jost. He might be a producer on the other one. Who knows? Um, but this is going to be live action as far as we know. I mean, I think you could do a really good TMNT movie. Mm-hmm. The problem is the last two are just a bit messy and loud, and like they 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 were too much. Mm. You get what I mean? Like I think if you simplify it back down to what it is in its core components, you could do something. And getting people who are comedy writers involved is yeah. probably a good idea. But kind of, do you think that the turtles are kind of messy and loud? Yeah, but I think that they've always got pizza grease on their face. They're always they're shouting about pizza grease. Hey, Michelangelo, you got any more pizza <laughs> grease for me? Um, they're also, st- I think they're going to be featured in Many Saints of Newark as well. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. Hey, Tony. They have to cross. Yeah, Donatello. <laughs> they have to cross the bridge over to New York to visit the TMNTs. And then, you know, young Tony has to cap Donatello. <laughs> I'm going to scoop that Raphael out of his shell. Hey, get Splinter. Get him in a bag. We're going to go drown him in the river. Um, I don't think we should review anything this week. That's how good I think our ideas have been. Hobbit and the City and Sopranos TMNT crossover. I think I said this when we talked about Seth Rogen stuff. Like, I think that one just sounds really interesting because I think... You know, maybe CGI is the way to go because as soon as you bring this stuff to live action, does it actually work? That's a hard R one, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I think they're doing an animated hard R. 
Um, but the thing you the, ever want to see a turtle's dick? The thing is, I think there is something really enjoyable about those original ones. Mm. The ones where they got you know big sweaty suits. when they're in the suits. Because I think at that point you Bring couldn't back the suits. Well, you couldn't do what they did and say like Teenage Mutant Turtles out of the shadows, where mm. you know you've got these big kind of sky machines being kind of brought together in the sky and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like you can't do that because you've just not got the ability. And I think the problem with what Michael Bay did is he went. I've got the Let's make this capability. a Transformers yeah. movie. And I've got the capability to do it, so it's going to be big, loud, and kind of ugly. And then you kind of lose what TMNT are. Yeah. Good. Good points. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Haunted Mansion. Uh, so, obviously, 2003's Haunted Mansion is a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. But, for whatever reason, they've decided they're going to reboot it. We talked about this recently. Um... Being eyed up to star, yeah, Tiffany Haddish, mm-hmm. Lakeith Stanfield. Importantly, yeah. not Terrence Stamp as the villain. Which is kind of a sad <laughs> thing. Um, Can I say what I love about this? Yeah. So Tiffany Haddish will be um, can do comedy really well. Like she's quite, but she's quite like a loud and abrasive kind of comedy, um, and I think that could really work. Lakeith Stanfield, I think I've seen him in recently, he's been very kind of subdued and intense. And I really hope that's the Lakeith Stanfield we get here. I don't want to see him go, you know, kind of... Yeah, and then he's going to go back to Sorry to Bother You again. No, I don't want to go Sunday morning cartoon Lakeith Stanfield. Mm. I want um, uncut gems kind of Mm. (laughs) stare you out from across the room version of him. So, allegedly, uh, she's going to play a medium who is contacted by Lakeith Stanfield, who is going to be a widower who moves into the mansion with his family. Brilliant. After becoming disenchanted with the supernatural world. Is this like Casper? Is that not the story of Casper? Oh, hang on. It says here, filming for Casper is set to get underway this autumn. It's Casper. (laughs) It's Casper. Um... I'm pretty sure that, or 13 Ghosts as well is a single father, yeah? Yeah, and Matthew Lillard is the Tiffany Haddish character. Oh, yeah, bring him back. Well, in that case, you just re-release 13 Ghosts is the answer. Um, So, yeah, that's that. I don't know, maybe it'll be good. I suppose you it do. won't be as good as the 2003 version, we know that. <laughs> Phil Evers from Evers and Evers Real Estate, where you will love your new home for Evers and Evers. Good. <laughs> Just like little things like that live rent free in my head. Yeah. Pushing out like really important information like. I don't know trigonometry. A squared plus B squared equals C squared? Is that. Was that Pythagoras? The fuck is this? Sintos and Cat. Sintan and Cos mm. are trigonometry. No, they're islands in Greece. <laughs> Come on! It's my tight five. Dan Trachtenberg, who did 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, is directing a new film in the Predator universe. The The title of which has been unveiled this week. It's called Skull. Uh, it's three quarters of the way through filming. So, that happened. Uh, that happened. Good. Uh, the film's main character will be female. Yeah. And I imagine people will not be pleased a about this. A lady one? And will encounter a Predator on its first journey to Earth. The story will take place in 1692. Predator's Day Out. That isn't real. Uh, the story will take place before that in the original 87 film, though. Oh, so it could be 1692. Yeah, there's nothing to say it isn't. <gasps> Salem, witch trials, but with Predator. Steampunk Predator. 
No. I got goggles Abs- on my hat. Absolutely <laughs> not. Um, there's a remake of She's All That uh, called He's All That coming out. Yeah, I remember reading about that. Okay. The thing about the Predator thing is... Sorry, that I got distracted <laughs> by a second story. I'm happier that they do a prequel than continuing the Predator film that they did. Mm. What Shane Black's one, because that was awful. Oh, no. Okay, so... They're still doing that. <laughs> well, here's here's something that... I've just read further down in the statements that have been made. Um, so who is this who's speaking? Let's find out. Um, a- film's producer John Davis uh, has said... It goes back to what they made, what made the original Predator movie work. It's the ingenuity of a human being who won't give up, who's able to observe and interpret, basically being able to be a stronger, more powerful, well-armed force. It actually has more akin to The Revenant than it does to any film in the Predator canon. Woman gets mauled by Predator. <laughs> You'll know what I mean once you see it. You can use your imagination. It is early. I don't know what that means. There's <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Um... Here's the interesting thing. We started conceiving this movie while we were shooting the last Predator movie, which Dan Trachtenberg has confirmed because he's been working on this for four years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan came to me with a writer and an idea while we were shooting the movie, and they said, yeah, let's go and put this into development now. Must have liked it. I think it's been like... I suppose if they'd have waited for the uh, box office return of the Predator movie, they then might not have. they probably wouldn't have gone ahead with it. Um, we liked Tinkler a little... Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, we do. That's really good, fun. Good movie for 90 minutes and yeah. then the last <laughs> 10 minutes are bonkers. Um, finally, finally, Scarlett Johansson, the big yes. news story, is married to Colin Jost, who's going to be writing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. What do we think about the Turtles? I think they're going to be in the many states of Newark. <laughs> I actually do hear that that might be It's true. all one big loop. Anyway, his wife's got a lawsuit going on. You wouldn't believe what it's about. <laughs> uh, so Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney for breach of contract after it streamed her superhero film Black Widow at the same time as its cinema release. Yeah. Uh, now, what's interesting is I've done a bit of reading up into this. Apparently, her representation first explored the idea of suing them in 2019, mm-hmm. which makes me think that there was the plan to release this on Disney Plus back then Yeah. as a potential thing. Um, yeah, it must have been. So, anyway, it comes down to the fact that, basically, she's saying, well, I'm owed back-end stuff here, and you've severely limited the potential box office earnings by releasing it on Disney+, Plus as well as in cinemas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, she understood the term theatrical release in their contract to mean a window of time would pass before it would be streamed, the period that's traditionally lasted 90 days previously. Obviously, this year, there's the shortened window for mm-hmm. a lot of... We've seen uh, Paramount have gone to the 45-day window, as have Universal. Anyway. um, So, she's suing them for breach of contract. They've come back and said, well, we've honoured it because we've released it in cinemas. It just so happens we've released it this yeah. way because this is the right thing to do right now. Which you can understand in terms of, you know, we wouldn't have seen it if it was mm-hmm. cinema only. So True. it kind of feels like, you know, we watched it on Premier Access on um, Disney+. Plus, and I don't think there's anything to say that that's a bad way to release the film. And certainly we've seen of late between this and what was their other one? 
oh, and a film we're going to be talking about today, Jungle Cruise, that their financial reporting on what they actually do on the app side of things, on the streaming side of things, is pretty healthy alongside yeah. a pretty, still a pretty healthy pandemic box office. And I think that's the thing you've always got to factor in, is that I think if you released this and didn't have it available on Disney Plus day and date, you'd be looking at an improved box office, but I don't think you'd be looking at a significantly improved box office. And I genuinely believe that the future of cinema are these hybrid releases. I think more people will pivot to them because there are multiple revenue streams that go that go into it and they're reporting healthy numbers from doing doing it this way. Yeah. There will always be people who go back to cinemas. But in this case, there is the argument that if, how is that contract worded? Mm. If that contract says a sole cinema release, then maybe she's got some in the right. But if it just says, like, oh, we'll release it theatrically then, you know. Mm. But is that question of should Disney potentially have just renegotiated that contract yeah and i think that's the argument isn't it yeah and look i mean she's so sources close to her have projected that she's lost 50 million dollars out of this which seems insane i mean that's a lot of money because the the alleged um the alleged information is that her salary for the movie was 20 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now she's saying that she was also she also has lost out on 50 million dollars on top of the 20 that she got as the actual salary for the movie. That kind of I mean that's a lot of money. Yeah. But that also means that they've been doing some projections on their end of this movie grossing maybe a billion dollars. I think they expected it to gross. So I think they expected it to gross a lot more than it has. Yeah. Um, but I think those projections were done pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what hasn't helped this film is a a reduced cinema-going audience, mm-hmm. which would have reduced that figure anyway. And b the fact that like it was then pushed back, so it's no longer in that kind of like catching on the fire of the Avengers movies had just ended. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a shame because a lot of the actors are doing this now where they have this clause in a contract that basically says, I get a back end of the profit. Mm. Um, and they take a reduced wage and basically it came from, you know, Robert Downey Jr. did it to incredible effect, didn't he? Mm. Where he's like, I take a reduced wage and I get a back end of the profit. And a lot of the Marvel actors, especially with these solo properties, are going... Maybe that's the way to do it because we know these are going to make money. Yeah. So it is a real kick in the teeth when you've done that and you don't get the you don't get the Marvel books that come through the door. Yeah, I mean, to so to date, the movie has made globally three hundred and forty eight million dollars. Mm-hmm. I think in a non uh, if you if you remove the streaming aspect of it, but you still keep the pandemic aspect, you're probably looking at something more towards five hundred. Yeah. I don't know if you'd necessarily get there, but I think you get something close to that globally. If you're looking at pre-pandemic numbers, you're probably looking at seven, eight hundred, maybe. I don't think you're topping out at a billion, but maybe. I mean, you never can really overestimate the power of the MCU pool. True. But it seems... I mean, I think both sides have probably got a fight here to be fought. And that this will probably end up being a settlement for an undisclosed amount of money mm-hmm. that will be much less than fifty million, I predict. But probably a It'll considerable you know, you wouldn't be surprised if she walks away with twenty or thirty million dollars. Yeah. 
And if rumours are to be believed, well, in fact, if their actual reporting is to be believed, I think they made $35 million opening weekend on Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Oh, $60 million in Disney Plus on the opening weekend. What's interesting is, though, that there was, I know some people who still love the Marvel films and still want to mm. see them all, who haven't seen this film at all, yeah. currently, because they don't want to go back to the cinema just yet. Mm-hmm. Um and they don't really want to pay that premium price on Disney Plus. Mm. So they've kind of just done kind of what we did with Raya and the Last Dragon when they've gone, it will come to Disney Plus in a few months' time, I'll watch it then. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether that's just a changing attitude of cinema going now. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, this will be this will be available for free, I would imagine, by the end of the year, in time for Christmas. I don't know if you have this in front of you, mm. but I'll ask you the question anyway. What's the top box office figure of this year? Like, what's what's um, done best so far? Because I'm interested to know what that ceiling looks like right now. So, box office, international charts, 2021 worldwide. Okay. So, uh, you're going to have to just wait for me yeah. here while I do this. Uh, so... Worldwide, there are a couple of Chinese films that have grossed huge numbers yeah. because obviously their box office um, open back up, their cinemas open back up much earlier. Tell than, me, like American. Uh, F Nine Fast Saga is still number one yeah. uh, of American studio releases. That international uh, worldwide box office is of six hundred and forty-three million dollars. Okay, so Godzilla versus Kong four hundred and sixty-seven million dollars. So even looking at that Fast and Furious, like the last one of those, almost mm. broke a billion. I don't. Think I thought it, it did, didn't it? Did it? I thought. It, I know it definitely did less than seven. Anyway. Um, oh, maybe I'm thinking of seven doing it. Seven did stupid numbers mm. but like, even then like so you're not I don't think you're going to get those films that do those kind of numbers so you're going to see a smaller box office return mm. um, like I said I, I do feel sorry for it because you know this was your solo movie and this was your last Marvel your payday. farewell to Marvel yeah yeah I suppose that's that's the more important thing is that it was the last payday of the Marvel contract um, 1.23 billion for Fate of the Furious okay. so you know it did well, but you know, I think I, I think six hundred and forty-three million dollars from F nine from a franchise that is so well established and you know similar to the MCU in terms of the numbers it pulls in. In ter- mm-hmm. you know, if you exclude Endgame and um, Infinity War, Infinity War, I think you'd say that that's you know there's comparable numbers in terms of that franchise in terms mm-hmm. of how much that pulls in. But you know, Godzilla versus Kong has been out since March. And is still playing in cinemas because there's not really, you know, you'll still, there's been more stuff released, yeah. but still. And that's only at 467 million. You know, Black Widow probably might catch that if it if it keeps around for a little while. Um, and I think you'll see films stick around for a little bit longer, won't you now? Yeah, but no one really predicted certain movies to do as well as they've done and certain ones to do as badly as they've done. I think Cruella seems to have surprised people by actually pulling in an audience. Mm -hmm. And obviously that still had that hybrid release. And then there was the stories about Emma Stone potentially suing on that. But $230 for Cruella, it's not a bad box office return. It's not great, but it's not bad. I mean, when you put everything into the context of this pandemic... It changes everything mm-hmm. because the same metrics you use to measure those things previously 
Aren't cannot be same. applied anymore because there's so much of a disparity between that. And like I say, I, for me, I you think... know, when Tenet opened up and just didn't really do the business anyone was hoping it would do, when a Christopher Nolan movie that's sort of reopening the box office can't have that kind of pull, you have to appreciate that anything that comes out, regardless of what franchise it's attached to, regardless of what your projections are or what your team have decided you'd be owed for it, I think anything has to be taken as a win at this point. Well, that's because we all decided with Tenet we were going to reverse the box office. So uh, this time... <laughs> it's actually in... working towards negative numbers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it basically comes to a fact of they need to start putting this kind of thought into the contracts they mm-hmm. give out because, like I say, I, I see this as the future of cinema. Like, I think a lot of people enjoy having day and date at home. Yeah. Like... Being Definitely. able to go, okay, I paid this much money and, you know, however much it is, you know, it is a good chunk of change. Mm. I pay this and I'm able to watch something straight away at home. I kind of want that to stay around. Um, obviously, we will let you know if anything else interesting comes up from yeah. this. Um, but shall we move towards... we got some trailers? Uh, yeah, if you want. Uh, what we can we talk about got? them briefly. Trailers. Okay, Venom 2. Just Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I don't even think it's called Venom 2, is it? It's just called Venom. No, I think it's just called Venom Let There Be Carnage. Uh, So this had a trailer. I haven't seen the trailer. You've seen it. I've seen the transformation. So, yeah, the second trailer came out, and it just showed a bit more Carnage. It showed a lot of the film, I feel. And this Mm. is the big Sony problem, which is, if you want to go into this film not really knowing what's going on, don't watch the trailer, because... I feel like that's the big problem with every film, though. I I think so. So, um, what is it? I mean, Disney for... Is it f- Black Widow showed the last scene of the movie? So um, I think it's Free Guy that's coming mm. out obviously next week or something. And apparently, from what I've heard, is like those trailers give nothing away, mm. despite there being so much trailer and so much stuff out. Apparently, it's just not giving much away. Yeah. Uh, but Sony obviously are notorious for just basically giving you their film, and this kind of trailer does give a lot. I think one of its problems is a lot of the action is taking place at night again, mm-hmm. um, which is just a way of masking kind of CGI and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it difficult to follow the action, um, which is a bit concerning. Yeah. But the Carnage stuff, like the way Carnage looks, mm. and especially that transformation that you see uh, when Woody Harrelson turns into Carnage, I think looks really good. Mm. Like, um, I think it looks better than the Venom stuff. Yeah. Like, this is this kind of like wiry, almost like um, sinewy kind of form and I mm. think it looks really well put together like they've done a really good job of making it look different to say Venom um, and I think that deserves credit and like I say I love that transformation I don't know what talking about it, but I think it looks really great like yeah. just watching this kind of head almost like tear apart as it's almost horror-esque mm. um, and that's what I think you need um, I don't know if I'm even looking forward to this one. I know you keep telling me I can't watch it because no, because I think you've you've gone in predetermined to hate this movie already. But I kind of wanted to be. I think you hate everything that Sony do. <laughs> That's not true. I you hated the Walkman. The Walkman. Yeah, the Sony Walkman. Oh. <laughs> you famously you, were, you said it would never catch on. Um. But yeah, and then there's another trailer. Yeah. Ghostbusters, but they're little kids. You seen this? Ghostbusters one? Afterlife. I've seen this trailer. Yeah. Not enough busting. You like Stranger Things, yeah? I need to see busting in my ghosts. Um. Yeah. So I mean, 
it feels like it's trading on the popularity of Finn Wolfhard to the point where it's also maybe trading in on the whole concept of that fucking franchise. Um, I mean, I I don't hold high hopes for this. It's very much a case of I think this is going to be one that's like, hey, remember Ghostbusters? Yeah, remember nostal- Ghostbusters, right? It's a nostalgia fest. Hey, remember those? Remember those um, Slimers? Easier. Look at this. Look at these little marshmallows. Yeah, but they made it a different Slimer now. I think. I, I'm pretty sure the well, Slimer in the trailer didn't look like Slimer, right? There's people sat. No, he looks a bit different. But is that just technology is advanced? Or maybe, give me old technology. Maybe years inside of that little box really kind of messes him up. That'll be the excuse maybe, they come up with. But just get it right. Maybe you like, couldn't draw a Slimer. Maybe it's like Mrs. Pac-Man. He's just got a little bow on his head. And it's Lady Slimer. Um, also, there was already a Mrs. Slimer in the show, in the TV series. In the, um, there's like a bar. You see them fuck. <laughs> there's a bar or something. Yeah. And it looks like, knowing, is it number two when they, there's already like the The pages. skeleton cab driver is what yeah, you're yeah. thinking of, yeah. Like, they look mm. like they're in the bar. Yeah. And so it makes me think like, oh, you're just going to release everything that like happened in New York when that's mm. in this little fuck. Vigo the Carpathian's going to come out. It's going to be crazy. And obviously the most important thing that we know about um, Ghostbusters Afterlife mm. is that there's a character called Podcast. Do we know this? I, I told you this. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's a thing. Uh, yeah, that'll do. That'll <laughs> do for news this week. Let's move on to reviews. Get it. Um, so, so I'll start with a couple that I've watched, um, and then we'll move on to the big ticket items of the week. Uh-huh. Uh, so some kind of heaven is a documentary film from a little earlier this year, which is available for rental or purchase now. Um, and it's produced by, um, Darren Aronofsky mm-hmm. and the New York times, interestingly enough. Um, and it focuses on retirement community in Florida called The Villagers, which is the world's largest retirement community. Yeah. Um, something like hundreds of 100,000 people who live there now. Um, that was started in the 1980s, I feel like. And anyway, it basically follows this... It, it follows the story of a few of the residents of The Villagers. Mm-hmm. So you've got a married couple who've been together for 47 years uh, who are experiencing a sort of new dimension to their marriage because since moving there, the husband has decided to get... Uh, to, to make the most of his remaining years and get into recreational drug use. Yeah. Um, And then you've got a widow who moved there with her husband. He's just passed away and she's working full-time because the savings she did have have now gone into purchasing this place in the villages and she doesn't have an option now Mm -hmm. to leave. She just is now working there at the villages. Um, And then another guy who he's decided that what he wants is he wants to find a nice, rich, beautiful woman to settle down with for the remaining years and make his life as comfortable as possible. So he's driven his van from California over to Florida to try and find a wife. Mm. And he's having difficulty doing so. And it follows them sort of during a, a period of a few months where they're going through all of these tribulations and 
it, it kind of unpicks this idea. So there's there's this sort of montage at the beginning of Talking Heads where they're saying it's a beautiful place. You're never bored. If anyone tells you they've come here and they've been bored, then they're just not doing it right because yeah. there's everything you could ever want here. You know, there's like hot air ballooning sessions. Mm. There's acting classes. There's cheerleading classes. <laughs> there's precision golf buggy driving. There's everything you could possibly want. And this is described as the Disneyland for retirees. So why is it that there is this thing under the surface where there is this really uh, profound sadness, I think, to a lot of these stories, mixed in with elements of hopefulness? And the whole thing is sort of filmed in a very... It feels almost fantasy-like. It feels like it's kind of filmed through this lens of... Uh, not being quite earthly, mm. like it is God's waiting room. Okay. And it kind of feels like that's obviously a deliberate choice uh, from the filmmakers. It was directed by Lance Oppenheim, and I think he's done a really good job of kind of capturing both sides of this, um, yeah, both sides of this sort of what's sold as a fantasy land and what mm. often isn't a fantasy land for the residents. Yeah. You get a real insight into that stage of life and the the sort of diaspora of people that are there as well. It's people from all over. And they say, you know, it's like college. Because no one's from here, you can reinvent yourself to be whatever you want to be. Oh, yeah. Makes so you can, you can get into whatever you want and you can say whatever you want because no one knows who you were before. They only know who you are now that you're at the villages. It's really interesting. Um, I might move there now. <laughs> I think you'd actually do pretty well there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's available for rental and purchase now on digital platforms. I really like this. Um, so, yeah, I would recommend. Um, secondly. I don't think I've seen really many or any documentaries this year. Um, uh, maybe not. No, I don't think you have. No. So maybe that's one to pick up because I... Like, I like I'd say it's watch- worth watching before the end of the year. Well, I, like I, watch- I found it really interesting. I like to watch at least one or two a year, like of like the ones that are like the good ones. Like, mm. Normally, ones that you've basically turned around and said, "Oh yeah, this is really great," and I'm like, "Okay, I'll catch it." Mm. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll pick that one up. Uh, well, um, another documentary for you then. Okay. So this is the Summer of Soul, or when the Revolution could not be televised, uh, which is a documentary directed by Questlove. I know um, him. Yeah. And so it focuses on the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which was a huge event that spread across the summer of 1969 and um, basically was this huge, momentous sort of seismic shift in terms of black culture in America. Mm. And yet, because it happened at the same time as Woodstock did, it got absolutely no real coverage past the time it was happening. Yeah. So whereas Woodstock has lived on in the memory and become this sort of uh, cultural touchstone, this probably more important event was completely sidelined. Um, So basically the story of it is, was that they were putting on this festival and they booked in all of these acts, really big, big acts, you know, people Mm -hmm. like uh, Stevie Wonder, um, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Nina Simone, The Fifth Dimension, Sly and the Family Stone, a really, like, really good yeah, yeah. lineup. 
and they decided, okay, well, we need to get ourselves a sponsor if we can. And they got uh, Maxwell House Coffee to sponsor it. Mm. And then they were like, oh, well, we also kind of want it to be filmed then. If we're putting money into it, we want to get it filmed so we could potentially sell it or whatever. And we can benefit from the fact that we sponsored this event, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So 40 hours of footage were filmed. Talking heads of some of the acts who were there. You've got festival attendees doing a sort of piece to camera and talking about how important it was for them as a moment and how brilliant they thought the whole thing was. And then you've got that mixed in with live performances from these phenomenal acts. And it's really amazing to see both of those things combined, the effect that it had on these people. And there's a guy who went, so he attended when he was a kid Mm -hmm. and he's watching this footage back for the first time ever. And he's in tears almost because he just remembers how amazing it was. And he says, people who looked like me in such a big congregation altogether, Mm -hmm. you know, beautiful black men and women all coming together to just be part of this experience. And he says, I think it says towards the end of the film, he says, I'm really thankful that you've brought this to me because I thought I was going crazy. I I knew it had happened, but I didn't know it had happened. Mm -hmm. I felt like I couldn't say that it had happened because I couldn't find anything. And then they presented him with all this footage and he's watching it back and going, I remember watching that performance and thinking this singer is the most beautiful person on earth. Yeah. And it's just, it's really, really incredible to see something that probably had more of an effect on the people who were there than something like Woodstock even had that has just been completely put to the side and ignored and buried for 50 years. And then finally, um, I think it was the producer who found the foot, basically was made aware of the footage. Uh, Yeah, Robert Fiverlet. And has come out, you know, and got, got this footage together with Questlove and made this really interesting documentary. It's on Disney Plus now. It's called The Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. It's really worth checking out. I really liked it. I love a good time capsule documentary. Like something where you go, here is a load of stuff that people have maybe forgotten about or didn't even realize existed. Mm. And here you go. And here's how it meant. Like that kind of stuff, I think, is really moving. Yeah. I mean, the 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 footage itself, the restoration job they've done on it is incredible in terms of being able to, you know really get some top quality audio Mm. and visual out of it despite the fact that this is footage that's been sitting in a basement for 50 years i i think they've done a really good job and i yeah i would recommend that so that's on disney plus now uh do you want to talk about the suicide squad the suicide squad sure suicide squad is uh, the james gunn pseudo sequel um to david ayer's suicide squad like it is a sequel, but it's one of those that you definitely don't need to know anything about the original plot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain things that like it would probably help to know. Um, but basically, the Suicide Squad are a group of criminals who are all in Bowie prison who are put together by um, a shadowy leader of the prison called Amanda Waller um, to go and do a mission that has utmost importance to... Um, the American population and worldwide. Yeah. So they go to Corta Maltese 
um, because there is a project there called Project Starfish um, that they need to basically destroy and destroy all evidence of. Um, and she sends in the Suicide Squad and they go and do squad stuff. Um, last week, I think it was, we went over the entire members of the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, main ones to probably know are Bloodsport, played by Idris Alba. Um, Peacemakers by uh, John Cena, Harley Quinn's back in this, Margot Robbie, um, Joel Kinnaman's Rick Flag. Like, th- there's a whole mixture of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed this. Like, I thought it's really. This seems to be the film that James Gunn has been building up to mm-hmm. because it uses all the sensibilities that he's got and all the stuff that he does and. No, sometimes you watch something and you go, um, oh, that's got James Gunn's comedy in there, but I don't think it's got his edge. Um, mm-hmm. And you might watch something, say, like um, Brightburn, where you go, okay, that's got his kind of edge to it, but I don't think it has anything else mm. of him. This seems to knit a lot of those component parts to it. It is funny at times. Like, it starts out a little bit, mm, I think, right. a little bit kind of wishy washy as it kind of like just tries to get kickstarted itself. But when it gets going, it's really kind of fun mm. and enjoyable. Um, it has that humor to it and, you know, it doesn't always land, but when it does, it, it lands really well. It definitely has some gore to it. Like there's a reason this is R rated um, and there's definitely shots in there. Like, and there's almost shots that are like beautifully gory. Yeah. And um, there's one in one of the trailers. It was a red band trailer of like King Shark tearing a man in half. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you're using gore, but you are using it artistically at times, but also you're not afraid to just be like, okay, yeah, there's there's blood here and there's people being beheaded and all that kind of stuff. Like you're not kind of going to go, we're going to tone this down. Yeah. And actually for something called the Suicide Squad, he really draws into the sensibilities of the fact that like, these people are in danger all the time. And there is a genuine thing, like, as you go through, you're like, I don't know who's going to make it out of this. Mm. Like, even the people, like, you think those are odds-on favourites to make it to the end, you then go, oh, actually, I don't know if you are. Yeah. Like, there is a chance, like, anyone could go. Mm. Um, There's some really, really funny moments in this um, that, like, I think is really simplistic humour that like he does very well but it's also real moments of heart as well mm. um, I think James Gunn might be the first person to really get Harley Quinn in a way I think there's moments in her in Birds of Prey where where she works but in this I think he really... do you mean since the Batman animated series yes yeah yeah I mean because like... that was when she was introduced wasn't it because yeah. she was made for that by Mark Bernardin yeah is it? sorry um, I mean like in the in these live action films like Margot because I think in Margot Robbie you've got somebody who really plays this kind of great version of Harley Quinn Mm. and she really gets the kookiness and this kind of like but also sincerity to her and I like the fact that she's this character who like basically she comes into this film and Captain Boomerang goes to her hey Harles what you doing um, back here and she's like Ah, did this got arrested ended up back here and you're like Mm. yeah of course she did and she's the kind of person who could literally just flit into any DC movie and be like, oh, of course she's here. But James Gunn really seems to understand kind of like the pathos to that character and the idea that like this isn't somebody... This is somebody who is also trying to kind of 
find her own place in the universe and they kind of do that in Birds of Prey yeah but he really kind of amps it up here and like there's this moment where um, another trailer moment where um, they go to try and save Harley Quinn but she's kind of saved herself mm. and she realises that like somebody's coming to save her and nobody's ever done that for her before yeah. and it's just moments like that of pure character um, that he really dots in between this that really work mm. um Daniela Melchior plays Ratcatcher 2. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Like, really fantastic character. Um, really nice what they did with her, but really well performed. Um, Idris Albert, very much the lead in this. Yeah. Um, at the start, I was like, oh, I'm going to hate this. This is that Idris Albert performance. Mm. And actually, as time goes on, it's almost like it was almost like they settled in. Um, I heard somebody explain this film basically saying, in the first film, there's all those stories of like, oh, the cast loved each other and they all got matching tattoos and it was such a squad. It was such a team harmony. Mm. Um, but then the film didn't ever feel like that. And they said, this is the kind of film where you go, oh, I imagine that when they come off set, like they all were having a ball. Yeah. And I genuinely believe that. I I agree. That seems like it could be the case. Mm. Um, basically, all this leads to me going, it's a very well done film. I don't think it's perfect. Mm-hmm. It is flabby at times. Um, there are stuff that is done um, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I think he's done a really good job. And it's a really good job of putting what the Suicide Squad are, which are these are villains who are being forced to do a job, otherwise they get killed yeah. um, in a dangerous situation. And he really understands like they are stupid. Yeah, They are outlandish. And actually, it can be a lot of fun. And when you put the fun into it and you put it into somebody who can absolutely put that on screen, you get a good movie. Yeah. Um, I think this is one of the stronger superhero films I've seen recently. Like, I think it's, you know, there are standouts and stuff like Into the Spider-Verse and stuff like that. But this is up there with them. And, you know, Mm. it makes you go, when DC do it right and they put the right people in charge... You get yeah. things like this. Um, yeah, I really recommend it. I really liked it. Um, and it, it is gory. Like, it is full on at times. But, like, I could stomach it, so I guess it's not that bad. Yeah. Maybe I will have to watch it before the end of the year, then, if it's going to be I, in people's... I don't know if... I don't know. Like, it's one of those where, like, I don't know if you would vibe with it, like, whether you would enjoy it. Um, but I... like. But it's, no other I'm, way to find out? I might watch it again before the end of the year. Well, you're definitely watching Black Widow again hey, before the end of the year. Remember that. And you gave that a would not recommend? Or that'll do I think it's that, that'll be big. Mm. Um, Paul Dini created Harley yes, Quinn. Yes, Someone will fucking fact check me before they get... They'll te- you'll, they'll WhatsApp me during the course of them listening to the episode and they'll go, it was Paul Dini. Yeah, I fucking know it was. I just checked. What I really like is they did a couple of Harley Quinn looks in this mm-hmm. Um and one of the ones that James Gunn purposely put in there was he was like, I really like her Arkham style, no, the Arkham games. Oh, yeah. She's dressed in that. And there's a outfit that is like pretty much like for like. And it's really nice that they are just going, okay, we are just going to grab from all different kind of iterations mm. um, and put them in here. Final episode. Final episode. Oh, I wish this was the final episode. Uh, <laughs> to the final review of the week Jungle Cruise. This is Disney's Jungle Cruise, currently available in cinemas and on, as we've discussed previously, premiere access on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So, 
after the success of Pirates of the Caribbean, why not turn more rides? Well, and of course, Tomorrow World or Tomorrowland or whatever it was. I like Tomorrowland. Um, why not turn more rides into films. films? And of course, the thing about the ride itself, I'm pretty sure it was inspired by the African Queen. Yeah. So it's a film inspired by a ride inspired by a film. We've come full <laughs> circle. So the story is um, Dr. Lily Houghton's adventures with her brother McGregor. They go to Brazil to find a a MacGuffin plant called Tears of the Moon, and which can cure any ill. Yes. But is it a myth or is it real? One man might be able to help them find out. He runs the jungle cruises. <laughs> Thankfully. Um, and so, by the size of him, I'd say he runs the jungle bruises as well. <laughs> okay, okay. We've all had a lot of fun here. Uh, so this is Dr... What's his... No, hang on. No, do- not Dr. Captain Frank Wolf. Mm-hmm. A sort of man who seems to... A man who seems to be bigger than life, I would say. <laughs> bigger than any normal person should be for a man who apparently doesn't eat. So he runs jungle cruises in the Amazon, and guess what? They need to get down the Amazon and find this thing. Mm-hmm. So who might take them? Will it be him? It'll, I should hope it'll so. It'll be him because he's on the poster. <laughs> uh, so the, the the film then becomes a swashbuckling adventure. Yes. As- of... Epic proportions. Mm-hmm. There we go. I think that's... Uh, that's just the rock we're talking about there. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Emily Blunt as Dr. Lily Houghton, uh, Dwayne Johnson as Frank Wolf, and Jack Whitehall as McGregor, the yes. brother. Um, they encounter various baddies along the way. Mm-hmm. That's kind of it. Yeah, that's the plot. No like, one needs to know anymore. No, that's enough. If that's, if that's whet your appetite, then guess what? Turn the episode off now. <laughs> Go and watch it. I mean, we're not doing a spoiler review or anything. We're just going to... Yeah. Anyway, so... Talk to me, Andy. I had a lot of fun with this. You did. Um, like you did. I genuinely found myself laughing more than I thought I would. Like mm. there was more reg- than I thought you would. Regular times, I found myself just giggling at like even like really stupid stuff, like that is really on the nose and obvious humor. And I was like, oh no, I'm kind of finding this charming. Like mm. it was one of those where like I don't know the last time I had. An advent, just an adventure film, mm. like one that kind of reminded me of my youth, like when I was watching like The Goonies or something. Mm. Um, just something that's kind of like, oh, this is an adventure, and it's just a little bit of fun, and it's never too much. Like it's never too, um, never goes too dark. It never does. It never kind of really fades away from this kind of like almost candy floss kind of style, mm. and it's actually just a bit of fun. And I kind of really, I don't know if I was just in the mood for it, but I really enjoyed being in that adventure. Mm. Like, I really liked um, the interactions between um, between Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. There was one joke that I really couldn't stand, and they just kept going back to it, which is the whole pants thing. Um, like, he calls her pants because she wears pants rather than a dress. It's funny because she wears pants. But it's said, like, 400 times, and... It's a term of endearment by the end. Yeah, but it, it's almost like they were kind of like, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, Skippy, that was funny. Remember Skippy? But I do think a lot of their interactions really are really nice. I think Jack Whitehall is really good in this, and I think he is a really nice comedic foil to the other two as well. Mm. You know, when you've got action hero 
Dwayne Johnson, like you kind of want somebody who can be like it's almost like the Kevin Hart role in the Jumanji film of mm. you have somebody who can be a lot more kind of like kooky and a bit more fun. And I think Jack Whitehall does that role really well in this film. Mm. Um and yeah, and I kind of like the adventure aspect of it. I mm. think, you know, it's not perfect. Um but yeah. but I really enjoyed it. Like I had a lot of fun. I wish that I had the same experience. <laughs> Um, so I don't look. I don't know if it was just a case of I wasn't in the mood for it, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's the case. I think the the problem for me stems to the point that I get what it is mm-hmm. and I understand what it's trying to do. I don't think it's wholly successful in that aim, but I get what it's trying to do, which is be this sort of adventure film that's a good time. The problem is none of it really felt... I mean, none of it felt of any consequence to me anyway. And I'm not saying that everything needs to be emotionally deep and meaningful. But, I mean, none of it really felt like any of it... I mean, I I nearly messaged you when I was in bed after watching this because I (laughs) I was just thinking... I, I had this thought where I just went, it is bonkers, the stuff they try and put in there. And, like, the stuff that they try and make part of the film that completely doesn't sit within the film. Yeah. And I I was really tempted to just message you and say, it might be the most insane movie of the year. And I've seen (laughs) some weird stuff. You know, the amusement park's still pretty fucking weird. I think this is weirder than that. Because I, I I couldn't remove myself from the fact that I was like, how do you like none of that really feels like it's within the same universe as the main storyline <laughs> and i you'll know what i'm talking about in the audience if they haven't seen it won't so i'm not going to spoil anything for them but anyway back to my problems with the film in general which were that i'm still unconvinced that dwayne johnson is this type of movie star yeah i didn't think he was good in this and i didn't think like he was engaging in the same way that he can be in something much more action orientated, mm-hmm. I think that's his thing. Is it because he's an impossible man and put him in? It's uh, supposed to be like one hundred percent. This is the problem. Is that put him in a skyscraper? And I'm like, I can believe that man exists. If if the movie is he has to punch a skyscraper, then yeah, I get it. If he's the rampage, perfect example of a film where Dwayne Johnson works as Dwayne Johnson. You put him along with other gigantic animals. Yeah, the problem with Rampage in a city destroying the city. He made the creatures look much smaller by having him stood next to them. And the, the the issue with this is that if I'm trying to buy into this guy being a real person, mm-hmm. I can't do it because I don't believe this person exists. And I think the issue is Dwayne Johnson will just keep on getting cast in everything. I get it. Something like Black Adam, I understand why he's there. It's a superhero movie. Yeah. He's basically a comic book character. I can understand that. This this is the kind of film you kind of want, almost like the the next level down from Dwayne Johnson of realism, yeah, of like you, Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, someone like Chris Pratt, or even someone like Jason Statham, who ha- doesn't have an impossible oh, physique. Oh, I would love to have seen Statham like. I would, I would a hundred percent love to see a Statham do this. I want the river cruise. Yeah, it'd be good. It might be good. They might meet I'll a Meg. I've all this time. Megalodon. <laughs> uh, Just look. punching impossible dolphins. The so 
so that's that's a primary issue with the film. Yeah, the second I, I issue is we've watched the Mummy this year. We the, rewatched the the, so the, the the nineties version of the Mummy, the Brendan Fraser one. And the problem is, it ruins a lot of adventure films because it is perfectly balanced between the sort mm. of adventure stuff, the comedy stuff, the fact that Brendan Fraser is an impossible man. He's a real person. I think person. Brendan Fraser is like that version of Brendan Fraser is like the perfect action hero. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who talked about this, but um, basically the fact that he is a man who was not afraid to make himself look stupid. Um, you need a goofball yeah. who's able to do that. And I don't think Dwayne Johnson is that person. And I think that if if you watch something like The Mummy and you go, this is great adventure fun. I just felt like watching this was just like, I'm watching nothing. And I never thought that I would pine to be watching um, Pirates of the Caribbean. That first one is great. And yet I found myself going, this is like a tenth of that movie and I didn't particularly like that movie that much I think the first one's fine but it's you know but I was watching it and I was going all of the effects in this look terrible there's some some there is some really ropey stuff in here and I'm like I think the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff looks better than this Mm -hmm. I think some of the mummy stuff looks better than this (laughs) and that's 90s CGI and I, I got to the point with it where I just went I don't think it's hitting on any level. I think... I mean, I didn't think I found any of the performances particularly engaging. I think Jack Whitehall's probably the best of the three, but even then I wasn't engaged. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of got to the point where I just went, is this just a nothing for me? For me, it's candy floss film. Like, it is that thing of, like, you eat candy floss and it just dissolves in your mouth and you're like, oh, that was something that was there for a minute. Like... But I I wonder if this... I mean... Fine, it works for the audience, probably, mm. I imagine. But I can't imagine a world in which I would rather watch this than any other adventure movie that I've mentioned today. I think maybe I just want another National Treasure movie and anything that gets me close to feeling how I feel when I watch National Treasure. Well, like, but this is the thing. National, National Treasure, Treasure I would much rather watch National Treasure and I don't like National Treasure. National Treasure's great, and so is National Treasure's Book of Secrets. Um... The one thing we haven't mentioned that I think before we wrap this up we have to is um, Jesse Plemons pulls out a great impression well, we know, of look, Christoph Waltz. Look, Christoph Waltz turns this movie down. We know that. We, like, he, he, must he must have turned it down because I think this part was written exactly this way and even with the like, inflections of the voice. It says in brackets next to his character name is Christoph Waltz in mannerism and speech. Uh, yeah, so Jesse Plemons plays a German prince um, who's, I believe, supposed to be the son of the Kaiser or something, yeah, yeah. and he's trying to win the war for Germany by getting this and turning it into a weapon somehow. Mm-hmm. Making, oh no, making him live forever. I, I don't know. He's going to Which is going to help Germany win the war. Anyway, um, yeah, he pulls out his best sort of Christoph Waltz impression. The best thing is, is in this film you get over-the-top Jesse Plemons um, and over-the-top Paul Giamatti, and that's... But I didn't... Here's the thing, is that the -the over-the-top Jesse Plemons was not consistently over-the-top. Sometimes it just felt like it was just like a very subtle performance by him. (laughs) And then... Other times he starts singing while he's shooting birds or whatever. I mean, he I'm was going, having fun. Well, that's fine, but I didn't like. 
I didn't enjoy that performance either. And I just sat there going, I'd rather watch Christoph Waltz do this. Well, you basically were. Yeah, but I would rather watch the actual <laughs> like, Christoph Waltz do it. If you closed your eyes, mm. I'm pretty sure you would believe it was Christoph Waltz. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he didn't turn it down. We know that. We looked it up on Wikipedia. It said nothing <laughs> of him. Anyway. Like, you would recommend. I enjoyed it. But I now, would not recommend. But now you're making me think that I'm... Maybe but no, no, I'm, I'm delighted that you had that experience because it shows that this clearly works for a market. I'm not quite sure what the market is. You probably. But I, I wonder how many people it works for that it didn't work for me. I think maybe I'm in the vast minority on this. I think I was just in the mood for adventure. Um, I think you make it, a... I, I was in the mood for adventure. You're never in the mood My for adventure. My swashes were not buckled. <laughs> I think you make a very good point about... Um, Dwayne Johnson and whether or not you can keep putting him in movies like this when he... he I is, think he works he's the in most, very specific contexts. He's the most unbelievable thing in a film of unbelievable things. Like, there is a reason that in The Other Guys he dies early doors as a super cop. Yeah. Because he can't exist in that film if it's about two... If that film was about two regular guys and he took the Mark Wahlberg role... He couldn't. Like, he works in Jumanji because he's, he's a, a video he's game a video character that is built to be this impossible thing. And Rampage, he's basically still a video game character. You know, <laughs> he wrangles gorillas for a living. Like, there are very specific contexts where he works. Yeah. And I don't think that Hollywood is understanding of that. I think they, I mean, he still pulls people in, so fine. Yeah, he makes money. They'll keep on putting him in as long as he keeps making money. But I think they need to be careful about that because, I, well, they don't need to be careful. No, still but make the money. as an audience member, I just felt like, well, this isn't real. Yeah. And I appreciate a film with sort of zombies in it isn't supposed to feel real necessarily. <laughs> but still, it would be nice. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Should we wrap things up? Yeah, 100%. Thank you for listening, though, guys. You're um, welcome. Let us know what you thought. Um, which side are you on this Jungle Cruise dynamic? Um, let us know on Twitter at Dinosman15. It's the best way to contact us. Um, subscribe to the podcast. Share it amongst your friends. Um, you know, find us wherever you find podcasts or whatever. Dinosman Podcast um, everywhere. Like I said, we're on Twitch, Dinosaur Pod on there. Um, join us on Wednesday for the live stream. Thank you to John Neves, as ever, for the theme song. This week... It was impossibly large. Okay. Uh, Andy, you've been the host. Thank you. Alex, you have also been the host. Thank you. And until next time, guys. Uh, Don't, you know what? It is me, Christoph Watts. (laughs) And I say goodbye to you. (laughs) Did you think that was a good Christoph Watts impression? Yeah, it was the best. Thank you. Okay, bye. (laughs) Dinosaur.